Hey everyone, welcome back to the Keeping It Local podcast powered by First Federal Bank. I'm your host, Richie Burke, and today we are going to be talking about the challenges and opportunities of buying and selling a business with me. I have two partners that recently acquired manufacturer fabricated metal products, Kevin Cyberlick and Buddy Robinson. And joining me as usual, I have Chief Banking Officer at First Federal Bank, Brian McManus. Thanks for coming on, everyone. Well, happy Thank to be here. Thank, Thank you, you for Richard. having us. Buddy and Kevin, do you mind giving me your backgrounds and just how you came together um, to choose to partner on fabricated metal products? Yeah, I'll uh, take a stab at that. This is Buddy Robinson. I, uh, I always like to say I'm a recovering lawyer. So I spent the bulk of my career being a lawyer, general counsel for large companies, uh, most recently as general counsel at the Kohler Company up uh, north of here a bit. And uh, I spent my legal career buying and selling companies for other people's accounts, for public companies, for the Kohlers, for others. Uh, And I made a decision about four years ago that I should be doing this for myself. Uh, and I went out on a journey to find and develop relationships that could help me execute that vision. And I came across Kevin, and I'll let Kevin give you his resume, but the thing I loved about Kevin is he was recommended to me by banks. <laughs> so when you get a finance uh, you know, expert who the bankers like, that's usually a, a good sign that uh, he's got a high degree of integrity, a high degree of trust. And uh, so... I. Kevin and I got together and we kind of scratched out what we were looking for. And we were looking for manufacturers, small uh, manufacturers here in southeast Wisconsin. We took a crack right off the bat at a, you know, about, what were they, about a $50 million revenue, $10 million EBITDA business, a big tool and die maker. and, uh, you know, swung and missed on that one. But then we just kept chugging along, looking at, right. a, I mean, I don't know, how many Sims have we looked at, Kevin? 50? Uh, 150? I mean, it's you know, up there. A thousand? I don't know. It seems <laughs> like a lot. Anyway, so uh, uh, so my background lends it, obviously, to the legal side. I've seen a lot of deals. I've walked a lot of factory floors. I've been a lot of due diligence product projects. Uh, but I needed that financial expert that really could dig into the the financial statements, tie it back to to real money (laughs) at the end of the day, not just a spread of numbers on a piece of paper. So uh, that's why I teamed up with Kevin. I think uh, we've made a pretty good team. So Kevin, I'll let you give your little background there. Yeah, no, thank you for that, buddy. Um, Yeah, Kevin Cyberlick, partners with Buddy. We met probably about five, maybe four and a half years ago. Banks introduced us, and he was an individual going out and looking to acquire companies. I actually own a company called Optimus Financial Services. I've been running that for 19 years and provide all those different types of services on the buy and the sell side. So it was a natural fit for us to kind of come together. Um, And along with that, I think kind of came along being in the market for 19 years and knowing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of bankers, a lot of attorneys. And so understanding, you know, where the deal flow actually happens in Wisconsin and how that goes, I think also was an advantage for Buddy when we first started off. And as I started, um, you know, looking at, 
you know, my future and what I wanted to do. Optimus Financial Services has been great. You know, been doing it 19 years, over 165 companies that we've helped in a lot of different ways. I decided, hey, I want to get into buying companies. So I started Optimus Capital Partners. And really the first company that we looked at or that we started to get real serious and have interest on was a company called Finco Fabricating. And we bought that over three years ago or so. And that was kind of the first maybe test for Buddy and I. But again, Buddy was very, very good on the front end of being able to lay out everything this is, you know, this is what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? Here's our futures. You know, here's my skill set. Here's your skill set. How can we kind of come together and make that happen? And and it's, I think, worked out very well. And FMP came along and, um, you know, we saw that that could be a good compliment for us. So we immediately jumped on that. And um, so, yeah, that's my background. Is I'm not a recovering accountant because I'm still doing. It. You're still doing. A, you're still doing legal work. Yeah, but doing <laughs> anyway, it for so, myself, as yeah. they say. You for know, us the, too, right? <laughs> the lawyer that has himself for a client has a fool for a client. So uh, anyway, anyway, so, so I'm yeah, the fool in that in that story. I'm the fool. <laughs> So you guys looked at 50, 100 sims. That's a lot of decks to go through. Mm-hmm. What stood out about fabricated metal products, and what do you look for when you're looking and vetting out these companies? Well, when I first ran across it, the first thing I saw was they do larger metal parts. And Finco does smaller metal parts and, you know, has different capabilities than fabricated metal products. So from the get-go, I liked that we could potentially go to a customer at either Finco or FMP and sell those other capabilities that we have. It would open us up to more maybe complicated parts that we could do. And so that was my initial thought. And then I got it over to Buddy and then it, you know, Buddy started putting his input in and there was a lot more there that uh, than I think we both saw initially that we liked. You open a some and it, you know, confidential information memorandum for those who won't want the lingo there. But the, you open it up and you're looking for a story. Uh, what does this company do? Uh, I like there are elements of that story that I always like to focus in on. I mean, I like, you know, what's the product? What are they what are they actually producing, selling? We're tangible guys. We we're manufacturers. We want a tangible product at the end of the process. We're not engineers, we're not selling time. I was a lawyer, he's an accountant. We're both the whole point here is to move into something that's in the tangible realm. So what tangibly are they producing? Uh, I I, I love a balance sheet. Uh, I know my bank loves a balance sheet. So I indirectly, if my bank loves a balance sheet, I'm going to love a balance sheet. So I like real assets on that balance sheet. I want to be able to see, you know, equipment, building, uh, real things, tooling, that sorts of things that have actual independent market value besides what they're producing uh, in the factory. Cash flow also is behind the assets is is the next kind of financial metric I look at. What what is this actually producing when you strip it down in terms of a real repeatable cash flow? What's a dependable earnings potential of this business? Uh, good times and bad times. I like to see a cycle history. So when they give you financials that are the last year or the last two years, you know, my first question is I need at least 10. I want to see what's it done through a cycle, you know, how to perform through COVID, you know, how to perform if I can get far enough back 
through 2008, uh, you know, that matters. Uh, these businesses tend to be real old, so they've been around making these things for a long time right. here in southeast Wisconsin. So they've seen cycles. So you you can learn about how it performed the dynamics uh, of the business through good times and bad. As much as anything, uh, businesses are associations of people. Those people are the critical alchemy that make the equipment, make everything work. Right. Uh, and I'm a high integrity kind of person that that's, you know, that's the threshold criteria. How do I figure out, is this a high integrity organization? This is an organization full of people that care about the reputation of the business, the reputation they, they have individually, you know, show up each day, you know, with, with the intent of doing the best they can that day right. and not, you know, how can I punch my clock and not work? <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there are people that are skating by, and I, right. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So, Richie, one other thing to tack on, and we had been talking about this offline quite a bit about the people element to this, but that's been very important to us as a bank as well. It's the same way that we assess who we want to bring on and who we want to work with as customers. Kevin talked about his background a little bit. I've probably known Kevin for ten plus years. Right. been involved in helping a number of my clients throughout the years get through their peaks and valleys and manage those scenarios, which lends really kind of a big level of credibility from our standpoint, not just for this transaction, but how these types of companies get to be run going forward. And it really kind of leads me to another question, guys, with as you're going through the process of looking and acquiring new companies, how do you look at really bringing in kind of a professional team? Who do you really look to? I know you guys did a lot of due diligence, but as far as making sure that you have accountants, the right attorneys as you're going into this, really as part of your due diligence process for the people who may be going through this process, what kind of team do you think they really need to assemble to have a successful transition? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Great I, and question. I, I think, uh, you know, Kevin and I have a, an advantage as right. buyers there. I mean, Kevin and I are have a, a long history of buying those services. So Kevin's hired and employed countless accountants and CPAs he's run into or dealt with or worked with or been employed by every accounting firm in the state probably. Oh, wow. uh, and I have uh, I have a similar background on the legal side. I mean, I've run into, dealt with, uh, employed, uh, you know, a whole lot of law firms who've done M&A. And so we, that, that side of the service is, is good. And then you know, we each have kind of our kitchen cabinet, if you will, which are over our careers, we've run into good operators. Uh, you know, I've run into good IT people. I've run into good HR folks uh, who I have the luxury of calling and getting free advice from. Uh, and I have a, a guy who is running a, you know, let's say a two plus billion, uh, you know, revenue group of Caterpillar. He was at Busire's previously and uh, left and, you know, he's kicking the dirt, you know, kind of half bored. And, you know, when I call him up and say, hey, you want to go walk an old, you know, manufacturing facility with me? You know, you could just hear it in his voice. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Where are we going? Can I get there right now? 7 a.m. tomorrow? You know, he's he's eager to go to take a look uh, because it's it's fun for him. That's where he lived his life. And uh so I, and I know Kevin has that same kind of relationship with some other folks, and it, that part of it's the most fun. I mean, you able to draw upon all these people in your life that can help you, right? 
I would, if you're looking to buy a company, you know, I would, you know, definitely look at hiring an inter intermediary or a broker, you know, an investment banker. It depends on the size of your company. If it is a smaller company, companies that we're looking at, you know, um, just do your due diligence on those investment bankers out there because, you know, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. And the bad ones will only kind of not listen to you and kind of prolong, you know, the process and won't probably get to where you want to be. So uh, I would definitely focus on a good broker. Definitely make sure you're talking to your banker along the way. A good attorney, you know, it doesn't have right. to maybe be the attorneys we know, but maybe some smaller attorneys out there. There's a lot of good ones out there. And make sure you get one that is a deal attorney. An insurance agent is probably very important on the health insurance side since there's so much risk and so many complications there on the, you know, on the workers' comp and on the property and casualty side. Um, you'll need that individual uh, mm -hmm. and definitely, you know, somebody to do due diligence and, and really the accounting side. So I think, you know, find somebody that has, you know, has done this before, that is a, a colleague of yours, somebody that maybe you know, so you can start kind of exploring that. Your banker should have some experience in this and then ask them in, re in regards to potentially, you know, some investment bankers or M&A shops, you know, um, that will, you know, look to go and find that type of company or what you're looking for in the market specifically so that, you know, you can go out and, you know, and, and get that. Right. Um, the intermediary is critical. And, and right. you know, in the, in the, the way the market is set up is most intermediaries work for the seller. So when you, you're a business owner and you're retiring and you don't have a, a successor or, or a natural, you know, place to put the business, uh, when you retire, you go find somebody to help you sell it. And that is the, that's the, f tends to be the intermediary that you're dealing with primarily as the seller's representative. But if you're just out there looking to buy a business and you're, you know, talking to all these intermediaries, always want to keep in mind who, where their loyalty is because generally speaking, they're working for seller. Uh, unless you put one under contract specifically to work for you and you put them on a commission. I mean, and then they have their loyalty to you and they're going to be out there fielding transactions for you. Uh, in which, you know, I, I, Kevin and I haven't had to do that. We've got enough of our own network to be able to reach out into the market and, and discover all the deals that are out there to be to be had, but uh, for somebody who doesn't have that network, you you really need to have somebody who can can form it for you, and you know talking to Brian or you know a, another bank, likely they'll be able to put you in touch with an intermediary that they trust that they think has high integrity and can help you form that funnel, if you will. At Optimus, we do do a lot of buy side <clears throat> projects for companies like this. Like Buddy said, a lot of brokers, investment bankers do not want to work on the buy side because it's a lot harder. It's a lot more work. You got to scour the market. You know, you got to pick up the phone a lot. But we have a process that's a proprietary process that uses social and digital and some traditional marketing me methods and, 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 and channels that we use. And so those usually develop 
uh, some pretty good leads for anybody that is a smaller company, doesn't want to, you know, can't find a broker, you know, um, you know, I have a group that exclusively does that. And right now we're probably working for three companies on the buy side for exactly that reason, you know? Mm -hmm. So Kevin, to layer into one thing you mentioned a little earlier about working with your banker, your accountant, Mm -hmm. your attorney, insurance agent, um, We've talked in the past about doing this a lot with our clients, but I think what's also really important is to do that process early. I know you and I have both had scenarios <laughs> where people have already said, hey, I've already signed a letter or an offer to purchase, and I want to close on this thing in 30 days. How do we get this done? They've never talked to their bank. They've never had their attorney look at anything. And the deal either falls apart or you get all sorts of false deadlines, which agitates the seller as much as the buyer. So I do think it's very important that you really kind of step into these with a partnership, find partners you trust, get in early, and try to identify any issues as early as possible. I'd say if you're a small business owner and you don't want to go and hire somebody, but you know, which is fine, but you want to go out in the market and do this, you know, you, you should know enough people. I I always suggest put a deal team together, get your insurance agent, get Brian the banker. And then once you start getting into these things, and Buddy and I have went through this, mm-hmm. you know, we've went through this a lot. Brian is right. You know, get them all, you know, early. together early, be collaborative, and start that process early. Yeah, yeah in manufacturing land, uh, you really do run into some some great, interesting things, but they, are, they can be frustrating if you don't have the right expert. Right. Uh, we've got... Yeah, this is this part of the world. We've got companies that have been around, you know, 100 years, 150 years, right. and you know, they've got some cobwebs, right? I mean, they've got some problems. <laughs> every 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 business. And so we've right. got to you got to clean that up a little bit. And uh, <laughs> you know, and there are people that have dealt with that. You know, oh, well, that's an arachnid. Blah 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 blah. We can get rid of that. Buddy, you got to come look at this deal. It doesn't have a lot of cobwebs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, give me that one. Yeah, yeah, that's the ones we want to look at. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't agree. I like the ones that are yeah. dusty and yeah. dirty We've and have those. a lot of difficulty because that gives you an advantage of a buyer being able to work through that stuff. Where, where do Sorry. most of the pitfalls come in on the buyer side? And are all these cobwebs you're speaking of? <laughs> are they tough to discover? Or if you assemble the correct deal team, do you usually? Is it usually a well, Somewhat got, smooth transition. I've got my Dude. state answer to that, right? Go Can ahead. I give Go my ahead. my standard answer to that is seller always knows more than buyer. You just <laughs> you just have to accept the fact that the seller is always going to know more than you are. So it, just follow me here. If the other guy knows more than you do, what's the most important thing to your relationship? It's trust, right? Because that that person, if they you just know the information advantage is always on their side they better be higher integrity to do a deal with them. Uh, it just has to be. And, you, and you're a fool of a buyer if you think you're going to outsmart a seller. Uh, you just won't. You can't. Uh, the only way you can get there is if you build a relationship where you truly believe that seller is in it if, for the right reasons. Obviously, he wants a check at the end of the day. Well, likely, he has other things on his mind. He wants the team to be well taken care of. He likes the business, maybe the brand, maybe that part of town. He doesn't want you to, you know, to sell out and empty the business and move all the people and somewhere else. I mean, there are all kinds of little nuances there that you want to build up that relationship. But fundamentally, number one pitfall is a low integrity seller. Uh, you just 
the second you sniff that, you walk away. You and, just can't ever get on top, back on top of that. And you can usually sniff that out by looking at their financials to be able. To, I know it sounds crazy, but you, you, you. Either you're doing your accounting the right way, okay, you know, because there's only really one way to do it, <laughs> or you're doing accounting a different way because you want to do it that way for whatever reasons you want to. You want to, you know, have more gross profit or whatever. So usually you can kind of start seeing that a little bit in the financials, but as soon as you, you all have to go into the deal with good faith and that, you know, you're all going to, you know, that that trust is there. But Buddy's exactly right. Once you start looking at that due diligence and the answers don't come back the way that maybe you they should be or they're a little elusive or whatever, and that trust level starts to come down, that's when, you know, you know there's going to be problems and issues. Uh, and you can usually tell that, you know, well... <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we've it takes gotten a in. while. So, but. well, remember the one we went in there for one day way out west, and we went in there for one day, and the yeah. financials were goofy. We started asking questions, and they were doing a little thing, a couple things shady. Literally, we went out there for a day, had a meeting, and we never went back. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been out there too for, you know, a couple weeks going through stuff, and then it figured out their, you know, Mm -hmm. that that trust level or something is just you know something doesn't smell right so that's you know right. and buddy has this philosophy and sometimes i hang in there a little longer than maybe i should just because of my consulting background and how we help you know all these companies but you know buddy's absolutely 100 percent right when that trust and when they're answering those questions not in the you know in, in, a, in a shady or an elusive way uh, it, it's it's not going to end well and, and run for the hills. Right. Don't waste any more. Don't waste any more time. 100% right. So, we, We've talked a lot about the buyer side, which is what you both are doing right now. We probably have a lot of business owners who may be looking to sell their business sometime down the road, maybe in the near future, maybe in 5, 10, 20 years. Right. What advice do you have to them to make their business attractive to a buyer? Start planning now. <laughs> well, I mean, to the integrity thing is is run right. it the right way every day. I mean, I you know, if you're running your business the right way every day, you have high integrity people in your organization with you, that business is going to sell itself. I mean, I you know, you're going to find the right person to buy it, and it, it's going to sell. Uh, if you're you know one of the you know one of the lead-ins to that question always bothers me, which is what do we need to be doing to prep ourselves for sale, right? What do we, what can we do to make ourselves, you know, it's the old lipstick on the pig kind of a thing. I, no, no. Em, embrace the pig. You love, you love the pig. The pig is the pig and that's what you got. Let's sell it. Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I think there's a whole private equity world out there that comes in and, and does fast and dash kind of Let's make it look good. Let's make the financials sing. You know, I've heard right. that before. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, just run the business right. Run the business for what it's supposed to be. Now, there are obvious things you can do. I mean, if if you're a small owner, a, you know, an individual, and you've owned a business for a long time, there's no doubt that there's been creep between what is your personal 
you know, what I do or, you know, lifestyle, what, lifestyle right. and what the actual business does. And so, you know, you need to start having honest conversations about, well, does a real business have this, uh, or is that just my personal preference? And so I've put it in the business. Uh, and so start thinking about that and, you know, divorcing your personal life and your, your day to day outside of work life from the business itself. And that, that can be hard. I mean, particularly for folks who have, you know, built a business. I mean, they're, they're entrepreneurs, you know, we've run into a woman who's an entrepreneur. She built the business, uh, and lo and behold, the business was her, you know, it, it reflected her and it was fabulous, but pulling her out was like, you know, taking the heartbeat out of the business and it, you know, became difficult then to sell what was left. Uh, so worry about that. Uh, if you're a, if you're the owner and you're really still very integral into the business right. and if you think you're going to sell the business and pull yourself out of it, you know, you need to really be thinking about, well, how is a buyer going to replace me? Right. What is a real buyer? And everybody thinks, well, I'm just going to find a younger version of me who wants to run the business themselves. But, you know, I don't know if you know the demographics of our state <laughs> or not. Not a lot of younger folks, you know. I mean, that's that's a, a little bit of a – you're dreaming a little bit if you're going to find just the perfect fit person. It's a lot less buyers that are out there for you. Right. You're yeah. 100% right. I would I would piggyback off of that and start looking at your key critical people and start training them and start weaning kind of your 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 lifestyle, yourself out of that business as much as you can. Because people will look at investors and banks will look at three things and when they're buying a company. They'll look at the people and the management, okay? And if this person leaves, do I have to replace them? And if I have to replace them with another you know, president that's an engineer because they need to do it, that's going to limit the, the number of, you know, buyers out there potentially. So the people and management team, infrastructure and processes, and then quality of the product. And if all of those are dialed in, then you should have good, healthy EBITDA and net free cash flow, which will result in a larger value or purchase price or valuation for your company. So I would definitely look at if you're, you know, uh, you know, running the whole company yourself and you're the company, like Buddy said, start to figure out how to transition that over. Or you got to find the needle in the haystack, that next person that is younger and going to find it. And I've been doing this a long time and Buddy's been doing this a long time. Brian's been doing it a long, long time. It's going to be, it's tough to find. <laughs> well, and it takes and they got to And they got to finance it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the, not a six-month process, Kevin. Oh. And that's, we've had people come up and say, oh, well, I do think I want to retire this year. It's kind of like, well, it's June. It's going to be tough to offload. I mean, that's something you really need to be thinking ahead. And, I mean, it's always possible to do it, but you're going to be giving up a lot of value doing that in the short time and not doing the right service to the business itself going forward if you haven't appropriately planned for that. Yeah. Right. Agree. Diversify your customer base. If you have over 50% with one customer, try to figure out how to get other customers in there. Consistent gross profit and pricing on whatever you're producing is very critical. It shows you're consistent, shows there's, you know, not anomalies or or profit erosion that can pop up magically in there. So there's certain things that you can kind of to do to think of it like if, Somebody's going to come along and buy your company. 
if you're going to hand over the keys to them, is it going to run with you out of there and them out of there because they don't know anything? And if you say, yeah, you know, or pretty close, then you're pretty close to being able to have good value in that company that somebody wants to come along and buy. They don't want to buy it for a job. They don't want to buy it, you know, to do work and, you know, and do this or change it or this or that. So they're buying it as an investment, uh, you know, and, and that's how they're going to look at it. Right. I think. This has been great. Brian, do you have anything to add before we sign off? Any more questions? I don't. It's been a pleasure. I think it's been very insightful. We've had a lot of people who've been asking these questions, and I think you've provided a lot of insight to a lot of our listeners. Well, it's fun. We, Kevin and I, if you haven't noticed, we could talk a lot. Yeah, so we, we put a mic in front of us. We'll, we'll keep talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> definitely a passion project. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely make sure you talk to your bank at the start of the process. Oh, yeah. with, Give Kevin a, yeah. With what's going on with banking out there, it's, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. That's a big part of buying a company, you know, at this point. And uh, some banks are, you know, open for business and really good out there, and there's some that aren't. Yeah, with the interest rates kind of uh, been right. rising recently, I mean, that was one of the great things, You're frankly, Brian, you did, was we got, we got into this deal during a rising interest rate environment. We knew we had a rising interest rate environment. And, you know, you were right there with us the whole way. It's like, look, buddy, here's where we think rates are going. Here's, you know, let's think about a closing date and what rates look like then. And uh, and then you got us comfort, you know, kind of when we were getting into the end of the deal where you essentially told us, hey, we're we're good on rates. We're, we've got the rate where we now let's just make sure we get it wrapped up and get it closed. So I wasn't, you know, worrying about nickels and dimes, you know, the week before closing, you know, because the interest rates are still floating all over the place. So thank you. Definitely make sure you get to a bank that isn't rigid in today's market if you're doing a deal that can, you know, be creative and be able to think within their limits in regards and in, in, in looking out for you as well, what is the best financing structure and capital stack to be able to put out there. Not a lot of banks, you know, and we deal with moving a lot of debt could be able to put together what, uh, what Brian did. And, and the bank did uh, First Federal. So yeah. give, give Brian a call. Yeah, yeah. give him a call. I would. <laughs> right away. Thank you. <laughs> Kevin and Buddy, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for making our jobs easy as hosts today. We didn't have to do a whole lot. That was great. It was. I loved it. <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh, th thank you to everyone who tuned in to this episode of Keeping It Local, powered by First Federal Bank. If you got value out of this episode, please pass it along, share it. That helps us get more ears on this podcast and make sure to subscribe if you have not already.